welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, I speak with Sybil Aikman Munson about the work she has done to raise many millions of dollars for good causes from philanthropists. We speak about the work she's done of bringing charities together and philanthropists together to seek funding solutions to plug various needs and the work she's currently doing to share her knowledge and expertise with other fundraisers. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work For Good, a fundraising platform which helps charities streamline and unlock small business sales fundraising via a supporter-friendly digital commercial participation solution so that small but mighty businesses can fundraise for causes they love and charities can maximise this awesome sustainable source of income. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sybil Aikman-Munson speaking about philanthropy in practice. So I'm delighted to be joined by Sybil Ackman-Munson, philanthropy and fundraising expert. Sybil, welcome to Charity Chats. Sam, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here today, and I can't wait for our conversation. We've already had so much fun before the rec- you hit record. <laughs> it's been great. And I know we're, we're speaking uh, the wonders of technology. We're on other on kind of polar opposites of the, of the planet at the moment, aren't we? Whereabouts are you based, Sybil? I'm in Oregon in the United States, and Beautiful. but our weather is very similar. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, we're probably on a similar kind of level, are we, in, on the globe, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so uh, maybe if you can start by kind of telling our audience a little bit about you, your background, and what your proudest achievements over the past 20 years have been. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the, what I want to first, I'll just tell you about who I am. And then then let's talk about the proudest achievements, which also link to my proudest failures, which oh, we should great. talk about too, right? Because yeah. I don't want people to waste time repeating my mistakes. <laughs> That's <laughs> the whole reason I'm doing this. Um, yeah, well, so so I, I came into working with donors to help them give their money away effectively mm-hmm. by first working for over a decade in the charity sector. Sure. So I was a nonprofit advocate. Like I worked in the nonprofit world mm-hmm. in the United States. And I mainly worked in natural resources and environmental work. That's where my expertise is. And I came into this wide, weird world of helping donors give their money away effectively through one donor first, who he funded all of the work that I did when I was wow. a nonprofit professional. He sort of like, he saw, I was, I was in my early twenties. Hmm. I was a little bit like, woohoo, let's go for it. You know? <laughs> and he really mentored me. And he, like any of the nonprofits I worked for, he would give grants to them because um, oh, wow. he ran his own personal foundation. Hmm. And we had lots of lunches and lots of coffees. And, and he was just such a great person in my early stage of my career. Hmm. And then at one point he pulled me aside and he was like, Sybil, I am thinking about stepping back from being like the executive director type of program officer at my foundation. I want to still be a trustee, obviously, and in his family, he's got other people as trustees, Hmm. but would you run the foundation? Wow. And I said, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea what I was doing. I thought, how could it be to give money away effectively? Oh, it's very hard. There's a whole bunch of new things that you have to learn when you move over there. So that was about 
10 years ago when mm-hmm. I moved over to run his foundation full time. However, what started happening is um, a bunch of different families then started asking me to help them out. And luckily, the first family I worked for said, this is great, Sybil. The more folks you can help, the better, because it just makes everybody more aligned and it supports everybody's needs. And a lot of the other families and foundations did similar things. Mm. So all mostly in the natural resource sector, mm. environmental sector, other sectors like that. And so now fast forward to today, I started my own business working for philanthropic institutions, donors, helping them give money away. So I manage dockets, I help trustee meetings, and I'm a connector. I talk to nonprofits and charities every single day, Mm -hmm. and I get pitched every day. And I've processed every single year, I've processed over 200 proposals a year. And so over the years, I started saying, man, I have so much information that I'm getting both from being in so many different trustee meetings, working with so many different kinds of families. Mm. And sometimes foundations, of course, aren't families. They're a group of people trying to give money away effectively. I work with those kind of folks, all different structures. I get pitched. I know what works really well. I know what doesn't. And I'm like, I have a responsibility to tell the world about my knowledge because there's a lot of people who do my kind of job, but do it very much in the background. It's all sort of word of mouth. It's, it's just a little bit, not that well known. And I just, that's why I'm doing this. I'm on this kick to do these podcasts because I want to support nonprofits. I want to support donors. I want to connect them in the most effective way possible. And, and I guess that's what leads to your question about what are my you know proudest moments which also linked to what are the moments where I realized, oh no, you know, the failures, (laughs) you know? I mean, that sounds to me, I guess maybe to our listeners as well, it sounds like that is the perfect job in this sector because I'm a fundraiser, right? So a lot of the time I spend is, there's a, there's an element of anxiety. Am I going to yeah. make my target? Am I going to be able to totally. sell this to the you know, donors? But from the sounds of it, you've you've already in the position you're in for the last ten years. You've you've kind of got the money there, and you. But then I suppose there's also pressure because you're then having to show them that your the investment of in you is is worthwhile because and they presumably they want to get more out of the donation in terms of they want to have it be more effective and more impactful and then also you're presumably that that role could lead to some challenges on the other side with the charities right yeah you got it I mean my job what I feel so strongly about is to help make the charity's job easier Mm -hmm. because they can talk to me and I can really help them a lot of times donors actually don't really know how to explain to charities how to pitch them And it's not their fault at all. They're usually have full-time jobs. They're doing, they have lives. They're not doing this full-time. They're not professionals in this space. And a lot of times they've earned their wealth by being very successful at business or other areas that have nothing to do with the nonprofit sector. Yet now they want to give back, which is wonderful. But there's a certain way of working in the nonprofit world. And because I come from that sector, I really know it. Um, And so my job, if I do it well, my proudest accomplishments are I have really deep relationships with the nonprofits that are actually grantees of many of the donors I work for. And so I know them really well. And then I can guide them, first of all, in 
what's the best way within your mission so that you don't do mission creep, that you don't get off base on your mission. That's a big challenge, the, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, what's the best way for you to talk to this particular donor about mm. your work versus another donor? How do you mm. want to focus there? And my job is to not waste the nonprofit's time. My job is to support them putting their best foot forward so that they have like a 90% chance. I never, of course, can guarantee funding. I have to recommend, but that they have a 90% chance of getting that grant once they apply. Mm -hmm. And it also, I also work with donors who give donations and they may not have foundations. And in those cases, a lot of times, maybe those donors don't have a website, they don't have guidelines or anything. But in that case, I also try to do the same thing where I work really closely with the donor first to figure out who they are, what they want to do, what they want to fund, so that by the time they go out in the world and ask for nonprofits to ask them for money, they're really clear themselves. And so there's like a 90% chance that nonprofits may get money. That's my goal is to sort of be that sort of background facilitator. Um, Actually, honestly, that's been one of the challenges now where I feel a responsibility to talk to the world about what I do is really when I do my job best, no one really knows I exist. It's more like I'm just the background facilitator connecting the dots between the two uh, very important or the institutions essentially that need to be connected. And I guess, I guess you're, you're kind of, uh, the aim is kind of matchmaking for want of a better term, these two kind of groups, but doing so in a way that they are, you know, saving them both time. And, but I suppose one of the things we we've talked about on the podcast in terms of uh, grant giving uh, trusts, for example, here in the UK, uh, but maybe, maybe kind of more, more globally as well in, in terms of for the charities, especially the small charities, one of the challenges I suppose is that resource and the fact that a lot of time can be spent on filling out lengthy application forms, only not to get anything back. Of course, there's never a guarantee, is there? And and the the uh, there's a kind of a sentiment in some of the conversations we've had that that will hopefully change. That there'll be almost some some kind of better way of doing it, either kind of shorter um, kind of pitches or um, or maybe some more kind of standardized way of doing it because certainly here in the UK I think there's some some foundations and this is from my experience too that you know you'll go to one foundation for the same project and uh, or two different foundations for the same project and one will be very kind of simple few questions and then you'll know if you've got a chance and another you have to do a fully fledged application which might take you five hours you know so yeah so the first thing I want to say is I've been in so many conversations with other philanthropic and funder related folks who've said the exact same thing. So there's been movements within the foundation world to unify our applications. Mm -hmm. I have to give you a reality check. There's a big downside to that. The downside is if you push too hard to have everything be the same, you're, you're not necessarily going to move all the donors over to that. Mm. You could end up losing a lot of donors right, because yeah. they'll say, we're not, we, they actually do. A lot of them actually do read the stuff. They want the information. Some donors believe very strongly in reaching, having open application processes so that they don't miss nonprofits. And usually mm. those kind of foundations also, they might not have somebody like me that knows the field in wherever they're at. And so that's really important. That is a totally different kind of application process than if you have more of a closed application process where you hire someone like me who really knows the field, then you can have a really simple application because 
you don't, unless, or maybe you as the trustee, you're very, or the non, the person who's giving the money, you're very much an expert in that field. You don't have to have a lot of complicated stuff because you sort of already know where things are. You'd be really simple. Um, sometimes people are like, I don't really know the issue. I'm just going to have it really simple and open. That's great. That's, that's a donor that a lot of charities love, but that's such a small amount of donors. Donors want to have a legacy in their giving. They want to have impact. And so one thing that I thought a lot about this because trust-based philanthropy is very important and it's very much based on an idea like this, which is give funds to nonprofits, vet the nonprofit, make sure they're, they're legit and strong, but vet them and then give year after year and don't micromanage and don't work. Don't do that those pieces and try to have these uniform applications that don't require a lot of work. I love this movement. I think it's really important. And on my podcast, I interviewed one of the founders of the movement, but at the same time with the donors I'm working with, because I work with lots of them, lots of families, lots of individual donors, and lots of um, folks that may not be family members of the foundations, but they are there for particular reasons. And I can tell you that if we forced everyone to give in the same way, mm-hmm. you would you would lose a lot of folks at hello. Right. Okay. And I suppose yeah. it's, it's partly uh-huh. it's, there's there's a there's an element of philanthropy, isn't there? That this kind of it's the personality of the donor as well. It's what mm-hmm. they're looking to get out of, and and people to give mm-hmm. to people, and and keep, kind right. of keeping and, that in the process. Mm-hmm. And Sam, that's where my biggest failures and biggest successes have happened, and that's where I want to talk to you about. Okay, so you might your your listeners might say, "Oh no, this sucks. We're going to have all these different things. It's still going to be just confusing." No. What I've done now in my mind and thinking about this is I've created three different categories of donors from all of my years of experience. There are three different categories. One is the kind of donor that would be conducive and and really great at the simplified application process. But there's two others that you really, if you know how to talk to them, it won't take you a ton of extra time because once you have those two other categories of donors in your head, you can sort of approach them similarly as well. It just feels confusing if you don't already know those categories. So I want to talk to you about the three distinctive types of donors mm-hmm. and the way a, ch- a charity per- a charity can then address those three distinct type of donors in a way that works. The thing I want to talk about first is your question of success and failure. So the times, the times when I feel so successful and so happy as somebody who's working with donors is when there's a group of nonprofits that come together and say, we see a challenge together that we want to change and where we want to collaborate well together and we want to work together. And we would love for you who works with donors to partner with other donors and increase your funding to this this particular issue over a two or three year period, because we feel like we can move the dial on something. A recent example of that where, where I work is a bunch of folks are working hard to support communities in the transition from to a fossil fuel free economy. So essentially from gas powered cars Mm -hmm. to electric cars, this is a huge change in our society. Mm. How do we do this equitably? How do we do this well? No easy answers. So a group of nonprofits came together and they said, Sybil, will you help fund this? Not me, but my folks that I work for help fund this. 
but then they are also working with other donors. So it's really, really rewarding and fun because I can work with other donors and other <clears throat> foundations. And I work with a group of charities and we're all talking together on mm. what the next step is. So that's a great success. A big failure example is actually when I was in the nonprofit world and a bunch of funders tried to get a bunch of nonprofits to work on ocean conservation. And I was one of the people that worked on the ocean in the ocean world. And it was the donors, a couple of really large ones, really large ones. They come in and what they did was they empowered a couple of nonprofit individuals who were talked well to the big donors, but not really well to the smaller grassroots. I come from the smaller grassroots and that coalition totally bombed. And so as a donor, now that I'm in the donor world, I try really hard not to make the mistake of being a donor that then only talks to a couple of nonprofits that might right, be the okay. flashiest and know the best about how to talk to donors. Mm. But I try to break through that. And I actually have um, a whole co mini course on how to work with collaborations and fund collaborations in my program to help people with that. If uh, there are funders out there who are looking to maybe get more bang for their buck, so to speak, by funding maybe a, a chain of different not-for-profits who are helping to solve it. a problem rather than just one not-for-profit who's doing yes. part of solving that problem. And, so, and the challenge there of the not-for-profits not necessarily working well enough together and the, the onus of that being perhaps on the funders to make sure that that's very clear that they need to work together. So well said, because it's not always a natural thing and for nonprofits to work together well because they compete for funding. Of course. And so a lot of times I find that when I'm working with a collaboration, I have to remind charities that if you're working together, you'll raise more money together. Mm. It's, it's actually a place of abundance because then more donors get more excited. If they, um, if they're funding one or two nonprofit charities or nonprofits to do a particular issue, but then five of them come together and they say, there's this big societal norm we need to change in the next two to three years. So we need extra money in over three year period to help really push this particular thing over the edge. Mm. Um, or maybe in our particular location, houselessness has gotten just so hard during COVID and we need to have a three year really concerted effort and a fundraising drive. So you donor XYZ, you donors XYZ, you've been funding us for so many years. Can you bring together more donors to help six of the nonprofits do more things? Because maybe this particular nonprofit does X really well, this other one does Y really well. And so we wanna to work together better. So that's another thing that's wonderful. If it's done well, then those collaborations can, can seal and be really wonderful beyond the three-year period if it works or the four-year period of that, where you're doing that concerted effort. But it does take a little bit of transformative thought to really say, look, you're not competing here. You are working together on common cause. And as a funder, you really need to um, be careful because of that dynamic between funder and nonprofit where the funder has the money. And so sometimes it can be really tough that way. You need to be really careful it, like the example I talked about before, where that big donor came in on oceans and wasn't really thinking, you need to be really careful here to do it in a way where you're really hearing the nonprofits and they're telling you, this is how we need to go. And I actually, like I have, a, I told you already, I have a little mini course for donors to help them think through that, but there's a lot of pieces to unpack, but when done well, oh my gosh, you can like conquer the world in a good way, positive way, supporting people, making a difference, 
collaborating with other folks who care about the same stuff that you do. It's the donors too. They get together more and they start sharing stories and they really can help the, the nonprofits. And as long as there's that very careful sensitivity about the power dynamics and about the goals people are trying to achieve and to really everyone has their heart in the right place to try to make a difference, that's just awesome. From the charities or the nonprofits' uh, viewpoints and those scenarios, there might be that worry about, well, if I come in as one of five partners, you know, five charity partners, what if one of those other partners then gets, you know, in the ear of the funder and then takes more of the funding away? So with things like that, do they, do you know, do they have a kind of a, is there a set out kind of agreement between charities to try and um, soothe some of those concerns that individual charities might have? Or, or is it just more of a kind of a, a sense of goodwill that they're all seeking to fulfill this objective, whatever that is, and that they're going to work towards it in a pleasant and, and a generous way with each other? So I love that question. And it depends on the particular collaboration. What I've found is that one of my bigger mistakes I made as an early funder about 10 years ago when I was supporting a bunch of groups in Idaho to work on forest work. And the first thing I did was as an early funder, as I said, okay, all you six groups that are thinking about this, put together one proposal with one budget with agreements, just like you were saying, sort of more formal agreements between you all. What I learned the hard way um, is that a couple of them came to me and said, Sybil, we are spinning. We are spinning because we're worrying about language and we have to then go to our boards and we have to do all these things. And is it, is it okay if we send you separate proposals so that we can then go through our normal chain of command in our own right. organizations? Sure. Send you those proposals because they are a little proprietary sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then why don't we have joint meetings though, all together, you know what everybody's doing and then make sure, and then we can all like talk together about that piece. Okay. So that's how they wanted it to be. They wanted it to be separate proposals. They all get along fine, but what was happening is by trying to formalize it, it didn't work well. Now I want to tell you that, that this also shows you, I had a lot of deep relationships with those folks because they could come to me and tell me that problem mm. because I was asking questions. I was like, look, you're still going to get funding if you tell me it's, and I was empowered by the people I work for. I knew that they cared about this. I was like, look, you're still going to get funding. Let's just figure out the way to make it work so that all of you are full. And, and if you, if you have gaps, I can help you too, by finding other donors to help you fund it. That's, that's structure one. That's the first structure that I think can work really well is they send you separate proposals, but you have these con continual meetings. Sometimes they meet without funders. Sometimes the group meets with funders and it's done a little less formally. They say that uh, a camel is a horse designed by a committee, right? <laughs> so I guess yeah. by, by doing so, it this way, they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're almost doing the things they're supposed to be doing in terms of their governance structures and everything, their PR. And then it, but it is coming down to the funders to then kind of say, okay, so this is how all of us are going to work. So it's exactly. It takes a lot of trust and you have to have people like me who know the issues. It what mm. doesn't work if you have funders who are one step removed, have busy lives, and then the, the nonprofits are competing and, and everyone's just pitching you. You have to have that 
that without structure, without that formal MOU, you have to decide, okay, it's okay, we can do this because mm. um, the groups know each other well enough. Usually if it's more local, it's easier to do it this way. So like in Idaho, it was a very local conversation about forest work. So everyone was having coffee together and talking anyway already. So that's when it works. However, let's talk about the second kind of scenario. The second scenario is, um, so I've worked with donors who funded climate change work, for example, out here. And there was a formal campaign with a campaign director that the nonprofits, the nonprofits had a steering committee of specific, like three or four of the key nonprofits that they kept expanding. Then they had members of this campaign that the members were like in the hundreds. Mm -hmm. And then they had um, one campaign director who was hired by the campaign one of the groups fiscally sponsored the campaign, but all the groups worked together pretty well. And then there was this one campaign director that I talked to whenever I was interested in understanding more of what was happening. And she had one budget. So anytime you talk to her, she'd see the one budget for the whole campaign. They would regrant out to various groups when they knew um, key things were going to happen. And so it was very, very structured. Um, and they, that worked in that campaign because everybody got along pretty well mm. when there were issues and people disagreed, they were very open about that. And they said, Hey, we're working on this. And funders wouldn't usually be in the room when they were trying to work out disagreements, but you knew that was a forum where they were trying to, and sometimes there were disagreements they couldn't work out, but you also knew what those were because the campaign director was very clear. Okay. This group is just doesn't agree with strategy in this area. So they're going to do this and we're going to do that. We figured out how to navigate it though, still. So you can do coalitions either way. Mm -hmm. It really depends on, on how um, the organizations, the charities decide to structure it. And sometimes though, as a funder, you can say, hey, this isn't working because you're hearing from nonprofits, wow, this top-down structure, structure thing isn't working and everything's falling apart. So you can help a little bit in that, but there's lots of ways to engage there. So I, I'm living through this very important movement um, and this very important message. I call it a movement and a message from charity saying, hey, donors, you are driving us nuts. You are making us fill out tons of different forms. We are spending way too much time doing that kind of work rather than doing the work we should be doing, which is mm. on the ground, helping people, helping communities, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's so important. Okay, so I thought a lot about this because of the fact that I'm inside in the room for so many of these very intimate conversations with families and donors, very intimate, very thoughtful conversations. And I realized that while there's this big push, how, how in the world can it, can it translate when so many people who have wealth and who want to give money to charities, there's different people. Everybody's different. There's that mm -hmm. saying, one family foundation, you met one family foundation. Okay, right. but I want to break that mold too. So what I've seen is that there's three distinctive types of donors. One is a sustainer donor. Another is a campaigner donor. And a third is a launcher donor. Sustainer is that trust-based philanthropy kind of donor. Mm -hmm. They love the nonprofits and charities that do the kind of work they care about. They just love those nonprofits. They're gonna give money year after year because they're really clear on what they care about. Mm -hmm. Maybe they care about houselessness. Maybe they care about climate change, you name it. 
but they, and they've found like their five or six or seven or eight or nine or one, whatever number charities, and they give year after year or month to month. And they go, they go on the outings. They do a lot of the events. They do volunteer activities. They're on the board. They do the events. They just are totally into the group. Is there a number yeah. that's kind of an average number of, of uh, beneficiary charities for a philanthropist like that? Do you know? No. I mean, it, no, there's no. not. Mm -mm. It can be one, you can have this person or family or donor, they can love you at the nonprofit, at your charity. And you probably, if you're a person that's running a charity, you know, these people, they're just mm. like super volunteers. They are really love you as the organization. They'll just, when you're having lunch with them or you're talking to them, they just care about you. They care about the work you're doing. And you might say, we're going to do a strategic plan. We might focus here or here. They don't, they're not worried about you changing your strategic plan. They, they, I mean, they would be if you totally left the issue they cared about, but they're still yeah. really into the nonprofit. They're really connect, connected. Those are your dream donors. I think those are the kind of donors that, yeah, you don't want them to have lots of different kinds of applications. They don't need to do that. Let's have all the sustainer donors do very simple applications if they have foundations. And if they're donors and they don't have official applications, they should just give money year after year because they mm. love your group. Mm. Okay, so those are great people to have. However, you leave money at the door if you don't also try to seek funding from campaigner and launcher donors. Campaigner donors care more about moving the needle on an issue than mm. they do about your nonprofit. And it's okay. You got to be okay with that. If you're going to pursue campaigner donors, they really don't care about you as a nonprofit. I mean, mm. they do, they, they don't get me wrong. They care that you're, that you're, they love you probably. They love it's your the issue, right? They want, but it's they the want to issue. solve you the problem. Or, or right. Whatever. And it's yeah. usually a very specific problem in the context of the issue you work on. Mm. So let's use climate change for, for example. So let's say you're, you're an organization that works in general on climate change. So many things you can work on there. And usually nonprofits work on a lot of different elements of the climate change challenge. Mm. If you're talking to a sustainer donor, they might care about one subset of the climate change challenge. And they might say, we want to move the needle on transportation or buildings or, you know, making buildings more emit less greenhouse gases mm -hmm. or other things like that. And so as the non with the nonprofit, you're going to want to talk to them just about that issue and how your nonprofit is moving the needle on that issue. And a campaigner donor is very interested in funding collaborations because a campaigner donor will say, oh my gosh, yes, you want to change, move the needle on supporting Buildings, people who are building buildings to have less greenhouse gas emissions, super mm. cool. That's the issue I care about. Maybe this person was a real estate developer and has their wealth from that and really wants to focus just on that issue. And then what'll happen if you're talking to the campaigner donors, they'll say, okay, well, what other groups are specifically trying to move the needle on that issue? And you want to tell them that. You don't want to hold that back because that helps you raise money with a campaigner donor. Versus if you're talking to a sustainer donor, they might not care about all the other nonprofits or they might, but they care more about you. This is moving the needle on that issue. And if you're, if you're talking to a campaigner donor, if you're not working on buildings and stuff, you know, making mm. sure you're doing that, then you should be clear with them and then don't ask them for money. Or if you're working on the building issue and trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions on buildings 
and you have a three-year plan, you should just talk about that with them. Okay. Right. So that's the campaigner donor. And you, you really, and that's how you get them at hello. Um, you don't invite them to your long annual meetings. You don't invite them to tons of outings unless they're specifically related to mm. what that campaigner donor cares about, the issue they care about. Because that will suggest that you don't really know them and that, or that you're or worse than that. They might perceive you as trying to waste their time or trying to move them to give to something that you want to give to rather than they want to give to, right? When I get pitched by somebody who I, I work for sustainer donors, campaigner donors and launcher donors, and we'll talk about the launcher donor in a minute. It's so painful when I'm talking to a nonprofit and they try to pitch me like I'm, a, I'm representing a sustainer donor when they're trying mm -hmm. to pitch my campaigner donor. And so I usually tell them, I mean, since I'm the intermediary, I'm like, well, what is the issue you're working on? What's how are you trying to move the needle on this issue? And this is what the donor I'm working with cares about related to forests mm -hmm. or climate change. And talk to me about what you're doing there. And so I'm actually a safe place for them to, to navigate that because you don't want them messing that up with the donor themselves. Don't get grumpy with campaigner donors. Meet them where they're at and know, mm. oh, they want to move the needle on this particular area. And you at the nonprofit and at the charity, it's likely you're working on that stuff. And if you're not, then you, then you don't need to waste your time. Because I guess also they might change their mind in a year or two. And if they've had a good experience with the charity that said, actually, it sounds like you're interested in this. We're more about that then maybe in a couple of mm -hmm. years time, they'll be interested in that. And then they'll come knocking, right? Right. They, they might be interested. But the other thing that's just as important is if you're super clear that this donor only cares about the particular issue, then you also can budget that in. Mm -hmm. If you're like, okay, there's going to be a three-year campaign on supporting projects that reduce greenhouse gas emissions in buildings. And then at the end of that three-year campaign, we're no longer really going to be working on that as much then you know that that donor is not going to fund you anymore mm. or vice versa. Just what you were saying, you could say, okay, we're going to be working on this and then we're going to keep working on it for many, many years. So we should start talking to that campaigner donor about what the next key issue is, key thing we have to move, new needle we have to move on that particular issue for year five, six, seven, eight. Right. So you're going to want to talk continually about how you're actively working there. So that's the campaigner mm. donor. A launcher donor is similar to a campaigner donor because they care more about an issue than any particular nonprofit. But what a launcher donor is, is I think of them like a venture capitalist of right. the nonprofit world. They love filling gaps. Mm -hmm. They love to come in and help new organizations get created or um, for things that are gaps or support a group, again, a collaboration of organizations that are coming together to fill a gap that no one organization has the resources to be able to deal with at that time. And I can, it's been, it's so exciting when I talk to these experts in the charity, in the nonprofit world, and they say to me, Sybil, we are doing XYZ super well, but we are stretched too thin and we need a communication strategy. We need a media strategy. And there's no one in our group of groups that's working on this issue, that has the expertise to work on media. You name it, you plug and play on any of these things. And so what I love is I love hearing that because I also work for launcher donors who love to fill gaps. And so they'll come in and they say, oh, well, we care about, you name the issue, climate change, houselessness, anything. Um, but we want to move the needle on a subset of this issue. And we see that there's no nonprofit working on it. And the nonprofits are saying they need it. That's important. The nonprofits have to say that, that it's needed. And then what you can do as a funder is come together with the nonprofits and either start and help them start a new group, or you can um, fund a nonprofit to fiscally sponsor something, or you can 
maybe even support the group itself to start a whole new program if it's within their mission. Because they also might say it's not within our mission, but this is something that needs to be needs to happen to help the issue move forward. And that's another thing I have to talk about is here it might sound like, oh, well, then the nonprofit or the charity is not fundraising for themselves if they're saying you need to pay, you know, fund something outside of it. But the thing that happens is the nonprofit will then build trust from that donor. They'll see that that nonprofit, if this if this donor is either a launcher or a campaigner kind of donor, where they care more about the issue than they care about your nonprofit, what's going to happen there is you're going to start this relationship with this launcher donor that they'll say, oh, th- this nonprofit genuinely cares about moving the needle more than just feeding the infrastructure of their organization. And again, I shouldn't say just because feeding the infrastructure of an organization is critically important. But a campaigner and launcher donor, again, remember, is more interested in moving the needle than in your nonprofit. And as soon as nonprofits recognize this and don't get grumpy with the campaigner and launcher donor, but instead work with them, I think they're going to find a very fruitful relationship. The folks who have pitched me from the nonprofit world that get this, are sometimes people go, what are the successful fundraisers doing over there? It's the fundraisers that get this. possible that charities can move a launcher or a campaigner donor over to becoming a sustainable yes. donor oh, over yeah. time? I, yeah, I have a great example of that. So for, I mean, for purposes of this conversation, I make it three distinctive donors and they sure. are, but it is possible. It's, it's so true. You, you can, if you get a donor really excited about your projects, you can definitely have them care about your existence over time mm. and also vice versa. Sustainer donors, you can get them interested in campaigning. Um, it is a different kind of mindset though. And so here's a great example of one of, the, one of my clients, one of the families I work with who are navigating this exact question. So they have a foundation that over the years has funded similar nonprofits year after year. So they are mainly a sustainer donor. They have not each, each family member has like one or two nonprofits that they have really deep relationships with over many years. And those nonprofits, um, of course, never a guarantee, but, but they do get funding every year. And so it's this wonderful relationship. They also, as that happened, they, they started getting these great relationships. They realized, wow, there's issues that really need to, you know, that need to we need more movement. And the nonprofits are telling us this on climate change and on habitat work and stuff. And so what they did was they, they contract with me to actually manage what they call a separate campaign fund mm-hmm. in their foundation. So they still, year after year, none of the money is taken away from those nonprofits, what they've historically given to those nonprofits, they're continuing to, but they've carved out an additional fund that's a campaign fund. So what I'll do is <clears throat> if there's a specific campaign that's like three, four years or two through two years that are key that the nonprofits are seeing, we'll up grants to some of those core sustained groups mm-hmm. because we'll say, okay, we, we might want to add more money for you because you're trying to move the needle on this really hard issue. And then what I also do is I'll do additional grants to other nonprofits that are working in collaboration and coalition with their sustained groups. And so that's how this family is working through being both a sustainer and a campaigner. It took a lot of years though of planning and thought 
to make sure that works well. But um, you can do both. And <clears throat> same with launching something and campaigning, you can do both of those things. But the key that I talk to donors about is they need to tell the nonprofits how they're approaching the nonprofit and be really clear with that because it can cause a lot of challenge if the nonprofit's talking to you like you're a sustainer donor, but you actually care about moving the issue forward. So you need to tell them that too, the charities. So that's one thing I work with donors about too, is to try to talk to them about those pieces. Although sometimes it's just me. I know the differences between all my clients. And so I can help the charities navigate that. I, I just created something called what I call a little special mini course series called Be Real. Okay. And it's a very special little mini course series and it's short videos and resources for charities to support them in honing their pitch. Mm-hmm. And the Be Real stands for R is how to stay relevant in front of donors. And so I have, I have advice to nonprofits on how to stay relevant. And I talk about sort of what do I look at when somebody's giving me the pitch and how do you make sure that if you're writing a proposal, it, it really is hitting everything that's needed. Mm. And then I have a special secret that really works that so few of the people who pitch me do well. And that is how do you actually reach out to me via email so that I'll read it and so that my trustees will read it. Yeah. And, and how do you actually personalize it? And most everybody does it wrong, except for a few who do it right. And so in that course, I break down an email, for example, that worked really works really well that I can just forward on to my trustees, that kind of thing. And, um, and then in the E part of the mini course, I talk about these three types of donors, sustainer, campaigner, and launcher, and get really into that to explain like, what are the differences? How do you want to, how can you talk to these different kinds of donors in a way that will work for you? And then the A part of Be Real is really how to um, approach donors from a place of abundance. And it sounds obvious, but too often a nonprofit person will come to me and talk about all the problems that they're trying to deal with. And they don't talk about the opportunities and tend to only talk about their own organization rather than moving the needle, for example, if they're talking to a campaign or donor. And then L stands for level up. So it's all the strategies for how to really level up your giving so that you don't treat a donor like a bank transaction. You want it to be reciprocal, don't you? Reciprocal yeah, exactly. And all these things so. feel really obvious, but I have to tell you, they're not. So that, that's like a little mini course. It's not like it's super expensive or anything at all. It's, mm-hmm. it's meant to be just supporting folks and helping them out. Um, and then I also have courses for donors to help them you really give on collaboration, on reading budgets and all that kind of thing. And again, they're in the mini course format. So they're really short and easy. And, and I just feel so strongly about that. Plus the weekly podcasts that are free. And I have a ton of re- free resources too, for folks yeah. to think oh, through brilliant. things. Well, we'll yes. share those, Sybil, if that's Yay. okay. And we'll get them on yeah. our blog. And, uh, and I think our, our audience are really going to appreciate all of your expertise and knowledge sharing, which we're, we're very grateful for. I can be found on do your good, which is so uh, for Facebook and Instagram, it's just like a little at sign, do your good. And it's really easy to find me. And then my website is do your good too. <laughs> Fantastic. There you go. Well, well Sybil Aikman Munson, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sam. It's been such a pleasure. I appreciate it.
big thank you there to Sybil Aikman Munson for sharing her expertise and knowledge with us. Speaking with Sybil, it struck me how philanthropy, no matter the amount, really follows the same rules as all fundraising, and that by giving the donor a clear vision of the impact they will have is vital in engaging their support. As Sybil said, funders will have different motivations to giving, and it sounds like a good strategy to have a pitch ready for those looking to invest in something shiny and new, as much as having another pitch for those seeking to support your ongoing work. I appreciated Sybil's point as well about being authentic and making sure not to chase the funds, as it will become clear at some point that this is the case and you risk putting a future funder of your work off because of mission creep and, let's face it, the risk of seeming like a creep too. A bespoke approach to funders is important and there may lie the challenge for charities, especially smaller charities with less resource, but working with other charities and approaching a funder through some form of consortium may be one solution. And all fundraisers should be regularly considering the best approach to being as efficient at raising funds as possible. A clear organisational and fundraising strategy is therefore absolutely crucial. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good, a fundraising platform which helps charities streamline and unlock small business sales fundraising via a supporter-friendly digital commercial participation solution so that small but mighty businesses can fundraise for causes they love and charities can maximise this awesome sustainable source of income. I'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for our beautiful website, check it out at charitychat.org.uk and Forrester Falls for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.